Thanks, Anne, and good morning again, everybody. Well, we're beginning uh, a new series this week, uh, looking at uh, Paul's letter, first letter to the Corinthians. Uh, as we, before we do that, just to remind you, the theme of our study of the Bible and our teaching this year, we're going to be looking more and more about the Holy Spirit and how to understand how the Spirit works and what the Spirit has to do with our lives as Christians and as a church together. That's the theme we've chosen for this year. And last term... Therefore, we looked through the first part of the book of Acts, and we were looking at the story of the early church after Jesus rose from the dead. And we called that series Go With the Spirit, because the theme that comes out of that story of the book of Acts uh, is how Christians are called to go on a journey with God, you know, so a journey of discovery, exploration and change, which is based on the confidence that we have that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and that the Holy Spirit of God is with us. And that idea that we are going with the Spirit can be a comfort as we travel through an uncertain time, as uh, we all are today. I'm sure some of us are a bit disconcerted about the, you know, another possibility of more infections coming into from w, into Victoria from WA this week. But it's also a challenge for us as we think about going with the Spirit to our desire to keep things the way they are or the way that they were, uh, to avoid the opportunities that God puts in front of us in every new season. And I hope that it's been helpful for us as a church to think about going with God and where he's leading us. I know it has been for me. So as we turn to 1 Corinthians, which is this letter to the church in Corinth written by the Apostle Paul, uh, I believe we actually have a different metaphor now to help us to understand our life with God and what the Holy Spirit does with us. So the metaphor from the book of Acts that we talked about was uh, our life with God as a journey. And I think in 1 Corinthians we can use overall the metaphor of our life with God as a home, use the metaphor of a home. So the image of homes and houses is very dear to the Australian people I know. We uh, have the great Australian dream, don't we? We all know what that is. That's to own your own home, where you can build a life with your family. And the sad thing is in recent years how far people have to go to get that dream and how much they have to pay. And the, um, you know, and renovation shows are very popular to have the home that we truly want and the drama of turning an ordinary house into a beautiful home that you can Instagram very well. Um, and, you know, what's the great religious outing of our day in Australia? It's the weekly Bunnings trip to get something to do around the home. We go out every time to the big open place. Yes. As I think, as I said, so I think we can take this image of a home, which we understand very well, and use it as a lens to understand First Corinthians as we go through it. And so this book, I think, of the New Testament encourages us to ask, what does it mean to build a life with God following Jesus experiencing the power of the Spirit? And so I want to put a summary statement for this series for you, that as Christians, we live in God and God lives in us. So I think 1 Corinthians teaches us that as Christians, we live in God and God lives in us. And 1 Corinthians is the book of the New Testament that speaks in the most detail about this reality, what it means to be the church, what it means to be a Christian, and how we live with God and he lives in us. And it explains that reality most deeply, so I'm looking forward to getting into it with you. In a key verse in this letter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul tells these Christians in Corinth that they are temples of the Holy Spirit. He says, you are temples of the Holy Spirit. So a temple, we know, it's a home, a place where a God comes to live and, and, and interact with their people. And so to be a Christian, Paul says, is to be a home for God's spirit and to be a church is to be a home where God lives. 
But I also think that 1 Corinthians speaks about what does it mean for us to live in the presence of God or to live in his reality and to explore this new world, this new home that the Spirit invites us to live in. As I said, we learn that as Christians, we are meant to live in God and God lives in us. So the Spirit of God, in one sense, is actually our true home. And we are actually a home for God's Spirit. So that's why I've called this series Living in the Spirit. And what I hope is that in this time reading through 1 Corinthians together, it'll open our eyes a bit more to what does it really mean to be a Christian, to experience the presence of God, and to give us permission and the opportunity to explore the riches of life in the Spirit together, because there's so much that we can learn and experience together. But before we get into our first reading today from the opening passage, a brief introduction to the letter of 1 Corinthians might be helpful. Um, as we heard in our reading, this is one of uh, two letters in the New Testament that we have from the Apostle Paul written to the church in the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth was a large Roman town. It was in Greece uh, in the first century, and it was a very important centre in that area for uh, trade and governance and religion and all the sorts of things that a major city is about. It's a very diverse place ethnically, religiously, and economically, and it's probably very similar to Melbourne today in the way that it would have felt. And so Paul, we know, stopped in Corinth on his missionary journeys, and we can read about that in the book of Acts a bit further. And he spent time there preaching the gospel, and he started a church before moving on. And this letter is written a while later by Paul, trying to catch up with what was going on in the church in Corinth after he left. And he wanted to encourage them and address some of the issues that had arisen and the problems that had come up since he was there. Now, the Christians in Corinth, if you read this letter, seem to have been a bit of a mixed-up kind of bunch of people, they were very passionate about their faith and spiritual experiences really into it. But they were also very confused about how to behave properly as Christians and how this whole church thing should work. And in their favour, it was a new idea at the time. Um, so the people in Corinth were very ordinary people like us. They weren't super Christians. They weren't perfect in the way that they lived out their faith. And in fact, I think if half the things that happened in the church in Corinth happened here, I would have to go on stress leave because it would just be too much, really. Uh, so... Um, now, Paul goes into a lot of detail in this letter on a variety of topics, such as what does it mean to be a Christian? How do you relate to the leaders of your church? Uh, ethical issues to do with relationships and how we treat each other in those. How you live in a pagan society with integrity. He gives an extensive description of spiritual gifts and how that they work. Talks about how worship is supposed to be conducted. He talks about the resurrection of Jesus and what it means and a lot more. This term, we're, going to con we're not going to look at the whole letter. We're going to confine ourselves to the first few chapters and the last few chapters. We'll leave for later, probably maybe later in the year, the middle section where he goes into a lot of ethical issues. It's very complicated. I want to give us more time to think about it. But we're going to think about the beginning and the end, focusing on the identity that we have as Christians and the meaning of the gifts of the Spirit and worship as a, as a community uh, of, of the Spirit. So let's start looking at our passage today. This is the standard kind of opening that Paul gives in these kinds of letters. He gives greeting and encouragements and prayers for those he's speaking to. And this brief passage is helpful because Paul lays out pretty clearly who he's speaking to and the kind of community that he thinks that they are um, and what he expects should be happening to them even though he's not there. So in verse 2, he lays out the characteristics that define a church. He says, you are those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. And they are together and unified with everyone around the world who calls on the name of, the G of Jesus. So there's a few things that we notice there. And the first is his emphasis on holiness, and this comes up throughout the letter. 
He calls, he says that you are sanctified in Christ Jesus. And that's just a fancy way of saying that they have been someone who's been made holy. But what does that mean? We're not usually used to, used to that um, idea. Well, holiness is a, is a biblical idea. It's related to the idea of goodness, but it's not quite the same thing. Holiness are things that are associated with God. So to be holy is to be associated with the presence of God and to have a special function in showing God's presence to other people. So God's holiness is kind of the sphere of influence where God's presence is felt. And nothing within that that is evil or wrong can persist or exist. God's holiness um, takes that away. And that's why people often say that to be holy, in some sense, is to be set apart by God or for God, just to be removed from things that are contrary to God's character. Now, in the Old Testament time, if you read, the holiness was a fairly restricted category. It was actually hard to stay holy or be holy. And only really this small area of the temple and the people who, were, who served there were directly associated with that. They were the only ones who would be considered truly holy. Everyone else out in the big world was in various degrees impure, unholy, and having trouble with that, approaching God. But after Jesus in the New Testament, we see that that, that dynamic actually becomes reversed. So through Jesus, his death for sins and the new life he brings, the holiness of God is actually something that goes out and makes unholy things holy again. It's an expanding presence throughout the world, a sphere of holiness that is growing. So that includes... Paul says, pagan people in Corinth who were extremely unholy have now become Christians and become holy through Jesus. The presence of God can be with them. So they can legitimately see themselves as holy, a place where God's spirit can live. Not because they're great moral people, of course, but as he says, they're part of this new community of people. They place their faith in Jesus, they've received him and his holiness through grace. And Paul says this up front, I think, because it's the basis for everything else that he says later. If the people in Corinth are fundamentally holy people, it should affect how they live, how they act, and the way that this church presents itself to the world around it. Because God is present with them if they're holy. And it also means that all of their experiences of the Holy Spirit which they had, all their gifts that they had, all the wonderful things that happened, all of those are related back to their, to their faith in Jesus who made them holy. It's not related to their own achievements or spiritual elitism or thinking that they're better than other people. Everything they have comes through grace. Jesus has made them holy. And he backs this up in the rest of the opening paragraph. You know, He says he thanks God for them, not because of what they've done, but because of the grace that he has given them in, in Jesus. And the gifts that they have, which he'll talk a lot about, come from that grace as well. So in verses 5 to 7 he says, In Jesus, for in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore... You do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. So he's saying God has kind of showered over them gifts of knowledge, gifts of speech, all the things we hear about later, and their ability to persevere in faith itself. And that will become important later when, in chapter 12 when we come to think about the spiritual gifts in chapter 12 and what they're about. So this is the greeting that Paul gives these Christians in Corinth as he begins to explore with them what does it mean for them to be a community where God is at home, where God is at home. So it's a small start today, it's a simple one. I want to kick off our series just today by getting this idea then of home into our minds for meditation in the months to come. What does it mean for us to be a home for God and to make our home in God? 
Our, our mission statement as a church here at St. Mark's is we're saying we're, we're called to be a an authentic expression of God's transforming presence in Emerald and the Hills. And another way of saying that is our job as a church is to be a place where people encounter the presence of God, to be people who live in God and who God, uh, and that God lives in us. And so that's what it means to be a church. And I think this is the central image that 1 Corinthians gives us. We are called to be a temple of the Holy Spirit, to be holy and to be united with everyone else around the world who calls on the name of Jesus and to experience that grace. So if you think about home, what does it mean to you? Where is home for you? Uh, it may be a house that's a special place uh, for you and your family, a place that you've lived in for many years. Our home may be a person or a group of people that when we're with them we feel that where we are, where we should be. Well, our invitation in 1 Corinthians is to think of God, to think of the Holy Spirit as our true home. The real place where we are, where we should be, where we find acceptance, love, purpose, and are equipped for life in the world. That is our home in God. In our home in God, there is a lot to explore, as we'll see, and a lot to learn, and there's a place for everyone. I remember Jesus' words in John uh, chapter 14, verse 2. There is more than enough room in my Father's house for everyone. Or as you may know it, in my father's house there are many rooms. So what we'll see in Corinthians is that inside our relationship with God, living in the spirit, you can explore your relationships, you can explore spiritual gifts and experiences of God, you can explore the mysteries of eternity that Paul opens up for us. All of that within this place that God has made for us. And we also learn that we are ourselves a home for God. And think about the privilege of that. God has said, I want to live within you. We are made as Christians to be a home for, for, God, for the Holy Spirit of God on this earth, individually and as a community. So one of our great tasks is to prepare ourselves for that, body, mind, heart and soul, to be temples of the Holy Spirit. So I think as we get into that this uh, term and uh, think of that, let's be encouraged by Paul's last words in our reading today. It's a big task, but he says, God will do this. For he is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So let me pray as we continue to reflect on that today. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us into partnership with you. To be temples of the Holy Spirit, to be filled with your presence. We pray also that we would learn to live within you, within the home that you give to explore all the mysteries and wonders that you've opened up to us as followers of Jesus. And I pray that this church would understand this more clearly as we look through this letter together this term. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.